Well, awake is one of those things that you either are or you aren't, I guess. Um, and I'll check here and as the sermon progresses just to make sure. Uh, for me, uh, just being in Nicaragua just uh, a little bit over a week ago, um, honestly, there was far more awake than I probably really wanted. Uh, they're two hours behind uh, Tallahassee, which means uh, awake in the mornings come really, really early. Like 4.45 a.m., sun rising, pouring through your windows kind of early. And if the sun weren't enough, the uh, roosters make sure to do their part at 4 a.m., uh, at 5 a.m., carrying on into 6 a.m. just in case you tried to keep uh, sleeping. And so uh, awake was not a difficult thing to accomplish uh, in Nicaragua. And speaking of Nicaragua, uh, let me just say a quick thank you uh, with the promise to give you a more kind of complete uh, report, if you will, of what God did in and through our team. But thank you. So much, Faith family, for your support, uh, for your financial support, for your prayer support, for Sam and I um, as we traveled down. We made it there and back, uh, which was no small feat in and of itself. Um, and we were able, actually, we went in with the goal of building a house. Uh, another team had sent money down, but not a team. So we built their house for them. So we built two houses uh, in the time that we were down there in Wawa Bar. Now there's so much more to do. And uh, we've got plans to continue on uh, taking teams as summer continues, hopefully even on into uh, fall. So stay tuned uh, for ways that you can continue to support uh, our friends and neighbors down in Nicaragua. Now, here we are in this Awake series, and we've been really pursuing the challenge for what does it mean to have our eyes open to spiritual realities? What does it look like for us to try to gain a glimpse of seeing the world the way God sees the world and to think and to look and to understand things that really matter? Because the truth is for all of us, we've got to be shaken to our core. We've got to be awakened to things um, that God sees, that God loves, that God cares about so that we can likewise see them. Because the truth is, as 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us, we see through a mirror dimly. Have you felt that reality? We just don't see things the way that we should see things with spiritual eyes, the way uh, that we should see uh, the world. And, and so, in essence, our eyes have to be trained. It takes discipline for our eyes to see uh, the world the way that God wants us to see the world. And have you noticed it's far too easy to fix our eyes on things that don't matter? To just get captured and caught up in things that don't really um, make sense when it comes to eternity? Look, Jesus even uh, had, had to challenge all of us. Paul reminds us, 2 Corinthians 4, 18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. No, not, don't fix your eyes on the temporary, he says, rather Fix your eyes on the eternal. You know, leading teams down to Nicaragua for the last uh, 15 years, uh, I'll be honest, it's easy for your eyes to be awakened when you step out of a very comfortable first world country into a third world country. 
immediately coming off uh, the, the airport and walking uh, through and then starting to ride the bus through uh, Managua. All of a sudden, you, you, your eyes are awakened and your senses are a little bit more heightened as you kind of look around. When you see those that are living on less than $2 a day, when you see homes, and I use that term loosely, that really wouldn't even qualify for a doghouse here in the United States. When you see kids running around kind of half-clothed and, and barefoot with no true toys to their name. Uh, when you see and you step into a home and you hear them pray, give us this day our daily bread because they really mean it. Because they're not quite sure where their next meal is going to come from. When you see and experience those things, your, your eyes start to awaken to spiritual realities. You start to see better what is temporary, what doesn't really matter, things that won't last, and you start to see eternal with a better perspective. And so I guess one of my prayers for this message this morning is just simply, God, would you open our eyes to the spiritual? Would you open our eyes to the eternal? Would you help us to see the way that you see? This morning, we're going to be in Romans 13. If you want to turn there or grab your app, and uh, in just a moment, we'll read that. As you guys know, Romans really stands tall as Paul's kind of uh, magnus opus, if you will, a four-part kind of theological treatises on the gospel and how God is drawing to himself a covenant people, both Jew and Gentile alike, that will be shaped out with new hearts and new desires, with new ways to think and live and act and to be called out from the culture around them. They'll be marked now by new gospel-shaped realities. And yet we realize the tension exists in all of us that know Jesus, all of us that have brought in, been brought into that covenant family. That's not an easy transition. All of us have an old flesh, a sin nature inside of us that just won't roll over and die very easily. That's constantly, and you feel it, at war within you. If God has placed his spirit in you, you know that there's a war that exists now. Yes, it's a cosmic war between good and evil, but on the practical level, it's a war between our flesh, our sinful desires, and the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires inside each of us. And so we could really boil it down to this one question. Will we conform to culture around us, or will we be transformed by the gospel? Will we just kind of roll with it? Will we conform to everything around us because it's comfortable? Or will we allow the uncomfortable part of the gospel to transform our hearts and lives? And with that in mind, if you're willing and able, would you stand in honor of God's word this morning? Again, Romans chapter 13, we begin in verse 11. Paul writes, besides this, you know that the time, that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh 
to gratify its desires. Father, in these moments we've got in your word, I would ask that you do what only you can do, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us. Father, would you allow me to get out of the way so that your spirit can speak what you want us to hear? And Spirit, I'm going to ask you to do what only you can do, to open hearts and minds, to allow the richness of the Word of God to land on open hearts this morning and like good soil would grow and produce a good fruit in our lives. And Holy Spirit, I pray for those that are far off. God, you would draw them to you. And for all of us as we come to your Word, we just don't want to know more. We're not just seeking information. We're seeking transformation that we can be made more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I guess uh, my sermon wouldn't be complete without a little bit of influence from John Piper. So he would ask you this question this morning. Why waste your life cruising on your trawler, playing softball, or collecting seashells on the beach in Punta Gorda. Or Jesus himself would ask, why would you build bigger barns to hold all your stuff when your life is going to be demanded of you even tonight? Or or he would ask, why would you invest on uh, the outside, things that are outwardly wasting away? Or as Paul even asked us this morning, why pursue temporary pleasure and happiness that will actually end up sabotaging the life that God has designed for you to live and the life that he desires for you to have? Or to put it another way and fulfill my duty to Pastor Bob to share something by Tim Keller. He says this, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that if you should lose it, your life would hardly be worth living. We start to feel the weight of our passage this morning, don't we? Immediately, all of us kind of struck between the eyes with this clarion call to wake up, to evaluate our lives, that the time is now, the challenge to move from darkness uh, to light, to cast off the sin that so easily entangles us and reject the idols that we so lovingly and longingly grip in our hands, only to release those so that we can embrace Jesus, to fix our eyes on him and what really matters. And that shouldn't really be a shock for us hearing Paul's heart in Romans 13 because our passage really is a further commentary on Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, where he says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, that you would present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is your reasonable or your spiritual act of worship. And he goes on in verse 2 to say, don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know, be able to test, to discern what the Lord's will is for how to live. 
his good, perfect, and pleasing will. So there's a connection here. And we know it because we know the calling of our lives as followers of Jesus is to give our lives wholly to the Lord as an act of worship. As Colossians reminds us in everything that we do, that it would be done as an act of worship, that we would be single-minded, single-focused, wholehearted, all in for Jesus. That's the goal. So let's dive in and see some challenges and also some applications from our text this morning. The first would be this, uh, Paul's challenge is to hear the call, to wake up, to pay attention, to watch where you are going. I wonder for you, is it really possible as you're doing life that life is actually just passing you by? As you kind of live out the hustle and bustle of life from one thing to the next, much like sand passing through your fingers at the beach is slipping away the true calling of who you were meant to be, called by God, designed by God, uh, the person that he wants you and has designed you to become in the life he wants you to live. Paul is saying, church, here's your wake-up call. Follower of Christ, here's your wake-up call, called by God to guard yourself, to live a life with meaning, to live with gravitas, to seize opportunities as a follower of Christ, to live a life on purpose. And so Paul does that by kind of sounding the alarm to wake up and to think about time. Much like the time every morning when my alarm clock goes off and I think it can't be. I just went to sleep. How is this possible? Or much like the time uh, this last week as I watched my eighth grader Jake walk across a stage in a promotion ceremony, and all of a sudden time went, oh man, I've got a high schooler now. (laughs) Or time a couple of weeks ago that did the opposite and moved far too slowly as I sat in my mom's hospital room waiting for a report from the surgeon on how the surgery was going. Time is one of those things that we all have to navigate. Sometimes fast, sometimes slow, but then times where we have to think about future time. And man, oh man, did that reality come crashing in, in the loss of a dear friend and mentor, Chuck, just recently. And then all of a sudden we're thinking about the time that is to come, eternity, when we step into that time, and so fast or slow, rushing or waiting or wondering or even fearing uh, the future, but we live from one thing to the next, but are we really living? Is that how God designed for us to use our time? See, as we think about that war inside of us, the reality is this, your old life, your sin nature wants your time and energy. It it wants all your time and energy. And we know from Scripture that we've got an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion. Satan would love to steal your time. He would love to have all of your energy. But then there's Jesus calling out, hey, will you invest your time? Will you give me your time? Would you give me your energy? Would you use it alertly and wisely? 
See, don't miss the connection to the eternal here because it's woven throughout all of Paul's letters uh, to the church. What's become the mantra really of Christ's followers generations upon generations has been this, Christ has died, Christ is risen. But what do we also say? Christ will come again. Christ will come again, church. Is that not good news? That he will return for us, his bride. He's coming again. Yes, we want to think about our time here on earth. Yes, we want to use our lives wisely in the time that he's given us to spend for the mission of God. But we do all of that with eternity in view. We do all of that for the life that is to come. Because we know from scripture that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Will it catch you off guard? Will you be prepared? Will you be ready when he returns? As we move on in our passage, we see secondly that we're called to walk in the light and to stay out of the shadows. In light of the time that we have here on earth, in light of Christ's imminent return, the calling is to walk in the light. See, when Paul talks about time, And how we use our time. He doesn't just do that in terms of the negative, in terms of death or or night or or darkness or evil. Uh, Those are very much a reality. We feel the weight of that. But there's an even greater reality. See, in Paul's mind, writing to the church, he knows the new day has dawned. Light has come. We're not children of night or darkness. We belong to the new day. Yes, we know we live in a dark time. We feel the weight of that, right? We know the world that we're living in is dark and sinful, but that's not the main reality for you as a follower of Christ. And praise God, the day has come. The light has come. And so Paul's saying, walk in that light. Literally, we're going to see him say, put on that armor of light. Step out of the shadows. Walk in the light. Picture yourself this way. Clothes torn and tattered. No money to your name. Just kind of barely making it. And as a last resort, you walk into a clothing store. Just hoping that maybe there would be uh, some mercy. And you see the manager catch your eye even though uh, your head is dropped in shame. The presentation that you're giving off is not one of confidence. And you're just hoping maybe there's some throwaway clothes that they were going to get rid of that he'd be so kind to grace you with. Maybe there's some, some cast-offs that I can trade these raggedy old clothes in this life that I'm living and maybe I could just get uh, something. But instead, that manager, instead of giving you the cast off, he walks over to you and he clothes you in a new suit and everything that comes with it, a, a shirt and socks and, and underwear and new shoes and, and everything. And all of a sudden, you, you look at yourself and you can't believe it. And then he says to you, now conduct yourself in a manner that fits your clothes. Live your life in a way that you've been clothed. It doesn't take much for us to think spiritually, right? That God, through his son, Jesus Christ, the filthy rags that we brought to the cross, 
And all of a sudden we get clothed with Christ's righteousness. Everything that God gave Christ that he had at his disposal, now he gives to us. That's the great exchange. That's the amazing exchange of the cross that the best we could bring, our filthy rags torn and tattered, God in his compassion and grace and mercy looks down on us and through receiving his son Jesus says it's all yours. You've been clothed in Christ. You have everything now you need. And so now the undeserved title of righteous one has been placed over our lives. Child of the king, adopted into God's family. We know we have a new heart and a new nature. We've been changed by the gospel, which comes from the overflow of a changed heart. And he says, let that now impact your life. That's why Paul says, put on Christ. Clothe yourselves with Christ. Never be without the covering of Christ. Let your friendship with Christ be as close to you as the shirt that is on your back this morning. Let that be a picture of your relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And no different than getting physically dressed in the mornings. May you seek to be spiritually dressed, reminding yourselves of this truth that receiving Christ daily and fully is the key to living a life with gospel purpose. Don't miss the opportunities. Just as you would physically put on clothes this morning uh, and each and every morning to come before the Lord and say, God, by your grace, would you clothe me in Jesus? May I do what's necessary to spend time so that I become closer to Jesus. Now, there's a significant assumption that Paul makes here that those who belong to Christ are children of the light. They've already been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of Christ, that we are new creatures. As, as he writes in 2 Corinthians, the old things are passing away. Behold, he makes all things new. And so knowing that the old is gone and the new has come, what remains for us as believers then is to dress like it, to act like it, to think like it, to live like it, and to fight like it. Make no mistake, the clothes do not make you a child of the light. The clothes show that you're a child of the light. So the spiritual challenge here then is to put on the character that reflects your new identity. If Christ has transformed you from the inside, that should have an impact on your outside. If he's put his spirit in you, he's given you a new nature, taken that old heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh as that is working out, that changes the way we look, the way we think, the way we talk, the way we dress, the way we act. Our new character is reflected by our new identity. So my question for you this morning is, how are you doing in that? Are you paying attention to your life? Spiritually speaking, are you getting any better? Is there growth? Is there movement? Have you just kind of plateaued out? Are you just kind of coasting along through life? 
Or are you fighting the good fight, as Paul would say? Are you taking ground? Are you advancing by the power of his spirit at work within you? Because don't forget what I believe is one of the most sobering passages in Scripture. Broad is the pathway that leads to destruction. And narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. And so that sobering reality, he says, is not only is narrow the road, but very few find it. Very few find it. Why is that? Because it's so easy to allow ourselves to just get carried away, to just go with the flow, to just kind of live life. To let our heart pull us in a way that we shouldn't go. To just be conformed to the culture around us. Remember the challenge that Jesus issued his disciples in Mark 14. He said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And and then he said this. He said, the spirit is willing. I don't doubt that your spirit is in the right place. But what did he say? Hey, your flesh is weak, though. So the call from Jesus to his own disciples is the same calling to us as his disciples. Hey, wake up. Watch carefully. I know all of us, with a good benefit of the doubt, could say, oh, yeah, I want to, right? The Spirit is willing. But he says, pay attention because the flesh is what's weak. And so if you know you're weak, what do you do? Well, you try to make it easier on yourself to do the right thing. You try to put convictions and guardrails up in your life that that protect you from going off the side of a cliff. You surround yourself with accountability and, and community, those that will ask you the hard questions and those that will challenge you and cheer you on. You put systems and structures in place so that the disciplines of the faith, things that Christ followers have been practicing for thousands of years would be true in your life to allow you to seek God and grow to be more like him. But we also see that a part of our new identity forces us to confront the darkness, doesn't it? And not the darkness out there. That would be far too easy. We're all very comfortable with going, oh man, yep. Our world's going to hell in a handbasket, isn't it? Man, just look at the ethics and the morality of the world. Look at those people out there. Paul's not going to let us off the hook that easily. He says, I want you to look at the darkness in here. I want you to turn the gospel mirror on your own heart and look at your own spiritual darkness. Your own spiritual condition. And know, much like everywhere else in Scripture, that the darkness that he lists out for us is not an exhaustive list of sins so that any of us could go, whew, not me, mine's not on the list. Rather, he gives us three categories, which I feel fairly certain yours is then on the list. First, he says, if you're bored, if you're lonely, If you're discouraged, if you feel hopeless, don't seek out the solution in alcohol and drugs. Don't don't numb yourself to the pain of life by seeking out something other than Jesus. As a second category says, for those of you frustrated with relationships, 
those of you longing for attention or uh, uh, affection. He says, don't harbor illicit thoughts in your mind. Don't chase after illicit sexual fulfillment that awakens sinful desires inside of you. And then he says, also relationally, what about quarreling and jealousy? Maybe you've been wronged. You've been overlooked, misunderstood, made fun of, maybe even abandoned. He said, don't give those thoughts room in your mind. Because if you do, you know they will grow a root of bitterness that will lodge in your heart. It'll give birth to resentment and anger and envy and jealousy. And he says, so in these three categories, make no provision for the flesh. Don't feed it. Don't live in the darkness. Step in to the light. Well, we would say, well, Paul, how do we do that? How do we avoid the darkness? And the answer isn't mainly by direct resistance. Although I would say uh, that's an important, good step. But he doesn't just say, resist, resist, fight back. What does he say? He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ as the solution to walking in the light and not in the darkness. Well, how do we do that? Well, we're challenged to recall Scripture that stirs our faith. We're challenged to ponder the promises of God that anchor our soul We're called to fix our eyes on the beauty of Jesus because the reality, that's what our heart longs for. We try to grab and hold on to all these other idols, but the reality is we want Jesus. That's who we want. And so we fix our eyes on him as our heart's greatest desire. And so don't miss this. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is really not just the alternative to making provision for the flesh. It's the only way we prevent ourselves from making provision for the flesh. So in this world of sleepwalking, where the temptation is just to kind of fit in, to go with the flow, to be conformed, Church, we've got to wake up and realize that there is a weapon of darkness aimed at us every direction we turn. And make no mistake, the aim of these worldly weapons is not to scare you. In fact, I would argue it's just the opposite. These weapons are there to lure you into boredom, to draw you in to wasting your life, to call you in to an entertainment-saturated sleep, a continual thumb-scrolling existence, and ultimately a wasted life. And that's why Paul says, wake up. Wake up and know the battle that you're in. Put on the armor of light. That should sound familiar to us in his writing in Ephesians chapter 6, right? To put on the armor of God. This daily routine that prepares us for battle. We put on faith and hope and love because only these things keep us awake. Only these things break the sleeping pills of television and and movies and music and entertainment and social media and advertising and sex and drink and success and the praise of man. He says, wake up. And I know on some level this is hard for all of us to hear, myself included. We love being comfortable, but I wouldn't be loving you well as one of your pastors if I didn't present this call to wake up, 
to awaken, to have a wake-up call that your life is passing you by. And if you keep going, one day you'll wake up with regret. One day you'll wake up with heartbreak. And ultimately, one day you and I will wake up and stand before a holy God who will call us to give account for what we did with our life. And the last thing I want for you, faith family, is you to stand there on that day and say, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I was asleep. Have you ever wondered how the world would be different if Hitler would have been a morning person? In just a few weeks, we'll celebrate and remember D-Day, one of the most decisive events of World War II. The battle, the invasion that really turned the tide because 160,000 troops would head into France on that day to take it from under Nazi-controlled forces. And what they would try to do is is deceive the whole Axis army about where that landing was going to take place. Now, make no mistake, the Nazis knew when it was coming. Uh, There's no way to mobilize that many troops without uh, them knowing and them being aware. But Eisenhower, the supreme commander, knew that the Nazis knew when they were going to be coming, but he had no idea where. So he leveraged that to his benefit. If you remember how that played out, the Allied forces actually tricked uh, Hitler into thinking that they were going to land on the south of France. It was closest to the nation of England. Uh, The channel there is the most shallow depth, and they did some incredible things maneuvering that day uh, to make them think that that's where the invasion was going to take place. And of course, meanwhile, the real invasion was happening at the five beaches of Normandy in central France where 5,000 ships were going to quickly come across these man-made ports that they created harbors. And they were going to storm the beaches there after the gunnery sites had been uh, taken out. But of course, the Omaha gunnery sites weren't taken out, which is why it was such a terrifying and bloody and devastating battle at Omaha. But you know the reason why this whole thing worked? The reason why this massive turn of the tide event happened in this war? Because Hitler was not a morning person. You see, he liked to sleep in, oftentimes as late as noon, one, two in the afternoon. And on D-Day, when this event was actually happening, remember, he knew it was coming. He was so overconfident that morning that he slept in. And all of his generals were so afraid of waking him up that when it dawned on them that the advance was actually happening in Normandy, they knew they couldn't do anything about it because Hitler and only Hitler was the one that could command their uh, troops of tanks to be moved. And rather than do something that they shouldn't do, and then worse, do something else, wake him, they allowed him to sleep. And because Hitler was asleep when the battle took place, when he finally woke up in late morning, it was too late because the Allied troops had already gained a foothold on the beaches of Normandy, which led to them taking France back. And it was the event that turned the tide in World War II and changed the world. 
So church, don't miss this. You can't win a war while you're sleeping. You can't win a war spiritually while you're spiritually asleep. And so our challenge from our text this morning is to live your life like it's urgent because it is urgent. Time is running out and we know that it's a strategic hour in human history. It's a calling for us as a faith family to wake up for our salvation is nearer, as Paul said, now than it ever was when we first believed. We know that night, that darkness is dissolving away, a new day of spiritual life is dawning, and so we want to step out of the shadows, the sin that so easily entangles, removing it like filthy clothes, and once and for all clothe ourselves in the armor of light as our weapon. We live honorably, church. Surrounded by the light of this new day, not in the night, in the darkness of drunkenness and debauchery, of promiscuity and sensuality, not being argumentative or jealous of others, instead fully immersing ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't even waste a moment's thought on your former way of life, but instead having your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. So faith family, this is your wake-up call. You've only got one life. Soon it will be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, in your grace and mercy, would you shake us to our core? because we can't win a war while we're still asleep. May the reality of what you are calling us to spiritually, for those of us who find ourselves in Christ, be this morning to wake up. And with the spirit that you have placed inside us, the same spirit that emboldens us, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, dwells in us and gives us power to live our lives on purpose to make the most of every opportunity, redeeming the time. Man, what a tragic end to have just collected some seashells. What a tragic end to have just built some bigger barns. Jesus, we want to stand before you one day and be proud of the life that we lived out of redeeming the time, of using every opportunity through the gospel to advance the kingdom of God to the very ends of the earth. God, would you use us, raise us up as a faith family here at Wildwood Church to make the most of our time, to be awakened to what really matters, to see the world the way that you see the world. But God, I also pray for those who are in here that are still walking in darkness. God, that are far from you. And maybe this morning as you're awakening them to the spiritual reality that there is a God in heaven who loves them, who sent his one and only son to die on the cross so that they can have freedom, so that they can be forgiven, so that they can have new 
life. God, would you call them to yourself this morning, whether they're hearing that for the first time or they've heard it over and over again, but now it's sinking in. Would you draw those who are far off and through the power of the gospel, would you save them? And for those of us that know you, would you challenge us to wake up, to think about our time, to step out of the darkness and into the light. Do a good work in our hearts, we pray, God. For your glory and honor, we ask these things in the name of Jesus.